From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. Bringing you these conversations uh, as additions to our regular scheduled podcast to give you a better idea of what's going on in the industry during the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, this week, I'm really lucky to be talking to Adam Dunn, owner of The Pheasant in Cape Cod. Adam, what's going on? Not much. Uh, enjoying a beautifully sunny day here in Cape Cod. Lovely. I don't think I've actually interviewed another Adam before, so this is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> so so uh, tell me about the pheasant and your background, because I know you as the owner of a really amazing restaurant in Brooklyn. Um, so can you sort of take me through your career uh, so we can get a chance to know who you are and uh, and then a little bit about the pheasant? Sure. Um, so my background was in uh, the music industry and entertainment originally. Ironically, not ironically, but um, interestingly enough, um, I was in college, I was booking bands. That's, I knew that's all I wanted to do. Moved to New York, started working at a bunch of music venues and live music. And I thought that was going to be my career for a very long time. Um, you know, late mornings, late nights, you know, get to work at 1 PM, get home at 5 AM, that kind of thing. You were a Brooklyn Um, Bowl, right? Yeah, I did pianos out of college. I pianos out of college, pianos okay. Lower East Side, yeah. And then I moved from there to Brooklyn Bowl for a number of years. And uh, along the, on the side, I got really interested in food and where my food comes from, sustainability. I didn't eat meat for 13 years, like high school oh, through wow. college. Um, and But then I started, I was playing sports in college and I was eating a ton of seafood and was like, you know, I didn't, I know nothing about where my fish comes from. And it seems kind of hypocritical to be very concerned about meat and um, know nothing about seafood. And so I started learning about seafood and growing up, I came to Cape Cod every summer as a kid and was used to just being around seafood and, and was frustrated that I couldn't find like, it was in, I was living in Williamsburg at the time and um, there was nowhere to get local seafood. I mean, or any quality seafood for that matter. This is before Whole Foods. This is, you know, before everything else came in. Yep. And I had to go to Chelsea Market to get like really high quality fish. And that's like a three hour round trip, you know, yeah, at least. Um, and I was like, this is crazy. Um, Williamsburg being the food mecca, kind of foodie mecca as it is or was, um, it just seemed crazy. There was, you know, a local Italian market that was, okay you know but you go in you ask the guy you know where's that piece of fish from he'd look at a tag and say uh i don't know it's imported and that's all he could tell you and i was like there's got to be something more to this you know there's or somebody's got to do something and uh so i kind of had this idea that there should be a place where you can get local fish you know where it comes from and maybe there's a little counter maybe chowder lobster rolls fish sandwich kind of simple and um but i knew nothing about fish <laughs> or where to get fish or how to source it. And uh, I came across in my music industry days, I, I had worked with a guy uh, who had mentioned at some point during our conversations that his family had a seafood business. And so fast forward many years later, I'm like, oh, I know one person who mentioned knowing something about seafood. And I bumped into him at a holiday party, um, like a music industry holiday party and said, we mm-hmm. got to talk. I got this crazy idea. And, you know, I said, he said, if you have, I, he said his family was one of the largest and oldest seafood wholesalers in New England. They've been around for about 130 years in Boston wholesale. Like this wasn't like a little seafood thing. This was a big time major seafood um, 
distributor. And um, so you say, if you have a concept, I can source us probably the best fish in New York, if not best fish in the country. And um, we said, let's, let's see where this goes. You know, so we started on the side, we'd rent out, you know, the backyard of a bar or, you know, in Greenpoint or Williamsburg and we'd throw a party and we promote it like a concert. We'd make flyers, make Instagram accounts and Facebook events. And, you know, we branded the hell out of it. Um, Got a friend who designed a really fantastic brand and we sold merchandise, hats, shirts, you know, oyster knives, koozies, you name it. And we started building some traction and it kind of started taking over. I mean, I think it, it climaxed with a, like a, we took out one of those uh, New York, like a New York Harbor boats, like a rocks off boat cruise. A buddy of mine ran the concerts on those boats and gave me a deal on a boat. And we, we put 300 people on the boat, open uh-huh. bar, uh, lobster rolls, oysters, ceviche, DJ, good buddy, Jonathan Tubin. Um, DJ, oh, I love Jonathan was, Tubin. Yeah, yeah. yeah he DJ a party of mine. He DJ awesome. a party of mine because you know I was in the music industry too. I think we crossed paths. I forget. Oh man, there's so much here. Yeah, <laughs> so many connections with you and me here. Yeah, I um, used to do A and R for J Dub. Oh yeah, okay. So we definitely crossed. Yeah, yeah. Um, we used to cross. We, I mean, we used to throw parties at Brooklyn Bowl. I think you booked one of my bands there. <laughs> it's entirely. Um, it gets so fuzzy between the two. Yeah, and then I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because also were you at Brooklyn Bowl? Sorry, now we're gonna go on a tangent. Were were you there at the same time? Um, now I've just blanked on his name, but dude from uh, who also started like he was involved in signing MGMT and stuff. Oh, Will Griggs. Will Griggs. Yeah, were you there at the same time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I took over when Will left. Okay, so, Will See, so I knew leaving. Will too. Will was there like the first two years, I think. Okay, uh, of Brooklyn Bowl, and then he was focusing on his label. And various other projects, and then he had a buyer. And Barry Presents was involved in Brooklyn Bowl as kind of like a consulting partner, I yep. think, for booking. And their office was above pianos, and so I met those guys early on in my pianos days and started hanging out with them. And then when the time came, they were like, "Hey, we've got this, you know, eight hundred to a thousand capacity venue in Brooklyn um, that needs a booker." I was like, "Oh, I'll do that." So that's amazing. That's what happened. Yeah. So yeah. sorry, to, so sorry uh, to take you off. No, no problem. Uh, sorry to take you off the tangent. So, okay. Back so to Jonathan you, Tubin is where back, I left off. Yes, back to Jonathan Tubin. <laughs> Here's a shortcut. The, Jonathan Tubin actually DJed my wedding here on Cape Cod. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, he was our first ask. And he was like, yeah, I'll come up and do it. Very cool. Um, so so yeah. you, so you're trying to source great seafood, throwing parties. Yeah, throwing parties. And, and we were like, let's, let's, we, we said to each other, let's see how far this goes. Let's, let's uh, keep. You know, at some point we expect it to stop. Like there's going to be some barrier and we can't go any further. And like, let's just see where that is. And, um, and it just never stopped. We just kept going. We kept finding ways around these barriers and we managed to put some investors together because we had built a brand and show that we had some traction and engagement and, um, managed to get some, you know, friends and family, really private investors, random folks that we had come across that were interested. And, um, and, yeah, before you know, we opened up. Uh, God, I think June thirtieth. I think is what the year was. I mean, the the date. Um, I'm blanking uh, on the exact date, but um, that was 2018. Because I got yeah, 2018 June June thirtieth, 2018. I think was the date. Um, and we opened up this little brick and mortar fish market counter and raw bar cafe kind of thing. 
And uh, yeah, so we did that for a number of years, expanded into wholesale. My partner in this was Vinnie Milburn, who really like the business brains behind the whole thing um, and grew it and built this wholesale kind of machine. Um, and that's really the direction that the business started going in was wholesale. Um, still keeping keeping the market. We realized we weren't going to add more restaurant locations. It's just the amount of debt you incur to open yeah. a new brick and mortar in New York. It was just like, you know, Insane. one step forward, two steps back. And we're like, how are we ever going to get out of this? And we decided wholesale was a lot easier to scale mm-hmm. and you don't have to deal with customers. And <laughs> there's some benefits for certain types of personalities yeah. uh, involved. <laughs> uh, you know, so we started going that direction. And then I kind of hit a point where I was like, you know, I really like the customer facing side. I really like creating experiences. I'm a promoter at heart, you know, back right. when I was booking bands, I was trying to find obscure bands and introduce them to people and grow them and and i love that feeling of you know showing something showing somebody something they haven't seen before and then being like holy shit that was awesome where do i get more right right you know like and that's that's kind of my drive and so and the wholesale thing as awesome as it was to be you know knee deep in razor clams at 4 a.m in the morning and lugging you know 80 pound halibut around you know before dawn in New York city. Um, it was exciting, but it was pretty brutal hours and, um, it just wasn't where my passion was. So right. I was looking for opportunities and we were looking, my wife and I were looking to start a family and, you know, we're kind of trying to forecast our life in New York, uh-huh. this, this kind of schedule. And we were like, you know, I think there might be an opportunity somewhere else. Let's, you know, we fantasize like everybody does who lives in New York about where you would go, right. You think upstate New York, Vermont, Maine. Um, and then I realized that my, my family uh, has a house in Cape Cod in South Dennis, and I knew the Cape really well. I came here for you know 25 years, my family. Um, and we're like, you know, what about Cape Cod? What's going on up there? And um, we were looking for businesses for sale, and we saw that this famous restaurant called the Red Pheasant Inn was for sale. And it's a restaurant that my parents rented a house every summer from across the street from this restaurant. Oh, for, wow. I don't know, for like... 11 years 12 years something like that and it was where every summer my parents and friends of theirs would go out for an anniversary or a birthday and the kids would they'd leave the kids at home it was like the fancy restaurant on cape cod um you know and massive wine list and and white tablecloths and but it was you know kind of stuffy and dated and like we never wanted to go to the red pheasant you know oh so boring um as kids and actually i don't think they let people in under the age of like 16 it was like this right so very... it, was like, it was supposed to be like an adult place exactly exactly and what we saw is for sale and we were like oh that's interesting that place i think we had just come the summer before and we had walked into the restaurant to have like a nice adult dinner you know now that we're adults my wife and i and we were i was like we couldn't stop thinking about like how amazing the floors were right <laughs> like these it's an, it's a 250 year old farmhouse original wood floors original post and beam like it oozes like New England farmhouse kind of vibes. And it's got two working fireplaces and the place smells like just, you know, it's just years, years and years of, of firewood into the walls. And it's just, it's stunning. It's a really, it's like a dream place. I remember I was saying like, man, like somebody could really do a number with this place. And then, so anyway, it came up for sale and we were like, oh man, that place, I can't believe it's for sale. And then we kept reading and it said, oh, there's a four bedroom house attached to it. You know, you're like, oh, it's on an acre and a half. Oh, it's on a lake. It's 10 minute walk from the beach. I know the neighborhood. You know, my parents have a house in the neighborhood or in the area. We're like, this seems like a no brainer. <laughs> and uh, 
let me tell you, uh, money goes a lot further when you leave New York City. Uh, as I think every, as everybody knows, um, well, it depends what city, you, I guess, you know, <laughs> depends where you go, right. but, um, we got a lot of bang for the buck. Well, so that's, you know, so before, before we kick it off more, cause now I want to hear about the process. Um, that's how you wound up on this podcast, right? You actually listened to our podcast, uh, you know, Monday podcast episode about, uh, restaurateurs and, and, you know, beverage specials moving to smaller towns, smaller cities to open places. And you reached out. Um, and then it turned out we had these crazy mutual connections. I was like, you got to come on the podcast and talk about it. But, you know, this is something people are doing. Um, and I, and so I, I'd love to sort of, you know, use you as a, as a way to show other people who might be thinking about it, sort of what you did and sort of how you figured it yeah. out. The one thing that I, I've thought about, you know, wanting to ask you is like, did you know other people who'd already done this? Um, who had like been restaurateurs in New York City? Uh, one of the people I think of, um, there's a, I'm I'm not gonna remember the name of the place now. It's like, oh gosh, the Gray Whale or the Thirsty Whale. Oh, Prairie Whale. Yeah, Prairie, Prairie Whale. Yes, you know yeah. where you know the, yeah. in uh, up in the Berkshires. Like, and yeah. the way you describe your spot sounds very sim- similar to me to Prairie Whale. Yeah. It's like in a very old yeah. home. Did you had you did you go check out places like that? Did you oh, know yeah, people yeah, who absolutely. had done this? So what was the yeah, thought? So we, so what happened when you decided to do this? Like, did you start doing research? And what research did you do? Uh, we probably didn't do as much research as we should have, which I <laughs> yeah. think is usually how it goes. You know, it's like we found the, the spot. We felt we found the building and okay. like the property, the deal was right. We could live there. We could sustain, you know, a lot of times I think the easiest thing for these, when people do these moves is finding a business and a residence together. It might not right. sound awesome to be living where you work, but it makes it affordable. Like we always say, like if, if the restaurant, if we were just buying the restaurant, it would have been too expensive to buy the restaurant. If we were just buying a house, it would have been too expensive to just buy the house. But when you do, do get them together, it's an incredible deal, right? And it kind of feel like the business fee pays for the house and kind of covers your like it's a self sustaining system, right. right? You can keep the doors open, you can cover the mortgage or the lease or whatever. You know, hopefully, you know, I think the best thing is to buy in these types of situations because you're committing, you're really going all in on this, right? Want to own it. Um, but we've I've seen in other places like what's works typically is when you can find that work live situation because otherwise you'd be buying a restaurant and you need you know quite a bit of cash to do that and then you got to figure out where you're going to live and sure you can sometimes depending where you are you can find cheaper housing I mean what's tough about the Cape is the housing market is really expensive here like the Cape is such a weird place because it's so seasonal and kind of in the off season has a somewhat rural vibe to it. Yeah, because it's really quiet and kind of deserted, but the housing prices are crazy because they get such huge money in the summer, and so it's Cape is is actually very difficult to find. You kind of almost unless you're coming from gobs of money, um, and good for you if you can make that happen. But uh, you kind of need to find this live work situation. It's, right, it's kind of prohibitively expensive um, to find a business to buy and then to find a house to buy. Um, that's been the hardest thing. Affordable housing is such an issue on the Cape um, because of just the weird dynamics of seasonal vacation, waterfront yeah. homes. You know, the Prairie, Prairie Whale is in Great Barrington, um, which was definitely a inspiration for sure. I mean, I read articles. I read everything I could about people who've done this stuff. So, um, I mean, none of it really accurately describes what it's going to be like, but it yeah. definitely give, it, it's exciting to read. You know, it's romantic. <laughs> Um, you know, we're reading about 
you know, how Mark, what he was involved in um, Marlowe and Diner. And Sons. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The Andrew, All those the Andrew things, Carlo yeah. Empire in the beginning and then um, split and went up there and kind of started a farm and then the restaurant. You're like, oh, this sounds incredible, you know. Um, and I'm sure the housing market there is not too dissimilar, but I'm sure there's also pockets of much more affordable housing. There's just larger space. The Cape is such a limited, narrow strip of land. You know, yeah. there's only one way on, on one way off that you, you know, there just isn't that much inventory. Um, you can't like, it's hard to live 40 minutes away. Right. It makes me think of like someone who would think about doing this in the Hamptons or something. Same kind of idea. It's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not nearly that same, like over the top kind of wealth, wealth yeah. in the same <laughs> way that like the Hamptons can be, but it definitely has that same, like this one long road all the way to the end, you know, right. Like two lane highway kind of thing. Right. So you're, you're not going to be, you're not going to live 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away if you need to get to the restaurant. And then all of a sudden there's a traffic jam, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's, an, that's an issue, but there's, there just aren't that many houses because it's not like 30 miles in every direction. It's 30 miles north or south or east or west. Right. Like that's, you know, so it's just limits how much housing is available in the immediate area. So you buy the place. What was going through, like, what, what was going through your head? Did you know what you wanted to do? Were you just like, we're going to buy it and take it over? And what did the people selling it expect was going to happen? <laughs> So they had built the people who sold who sold it to us had owned the restaurant for forty years. Um, it had been in wow. their fan like their dad, the father ran it for a number of years, and the son took over and ran it. Um, and it was this it was an institution, like a real icon on Cape Cod. Um, I mean, when I told my parents we were buying it, they were like, "The the red pheasant," You're, like they couldn't like they couldn't fathom that we were buying this iconic kind of restaurant, you know, it meant, it means a lot to a lot of people, a lot of anniversaries, birthdays, special occasions. It was a special occasion place. People dressed up. It was the nice dinner out in this area, Cape Cod. And so they were looking to hand this off. They, I mean, I think they were just grateful to get rid of it, honestly, because what we saw, what we felt is that toward the end of the business, like they were, you know, they're in their, I think they're 70, they're just getting tired. Um, and they seemed a little bit the customers kind of ran the place at the end. It was like this locals, not locals hangout, but like they had a regular yeah. clientele who I remember I told, I told the, the old owner and chef owner what I was, you know, we we're like, Oh, we're going to put this like awesome gourmet burger on the menu. And he's like, Oh, I would love to put, I've always wanted to put a burger on the menu. I just, I couldn't. And I never understood what he meant. Like, why couldn't you put a burger on the menu? Like right. it's your restaurant. <laughs> and then not to get ahead of myself in this conversation, but you know, we had somebody come in when we had first opened and this older gentleman pulled me, he was wearing a jacket and he pulls me aside and says, are you the owner? I said, yes. He's like, this is a nice restaurant. You can't have hamburgers on the menu. You know? And I was like, I was like, interesting. Well, you know, we had this kind of like whiplash, like in this like moment, like aha moment. And I realized that these customers had like, they had created, they'd been with him for 30, 40 years and they had everything dialed in exactly how they wanted it. And so, right. and he wasn't going to mess with them because they were super loyal customers. Cool. Correct. Correct. And so there are some people that he, I had met, like there was in this, on the, oh man, there's so much here. Um, the Cape, <laughs> every December, the Cape has a, all the towns kind of around the holidays do these strolls, right? Like holiday strolls. I think people walk through town, yeah. restaurants give things away, stores give things away. And it's just like a meet and greet kind of thing. And so I came, once we knew we were, likely to buy it we made an offer and it was accepted you know we had um i came up 
to do the stroll because he's like, let me introduce you to all the regulars, right? And I'll introduce you as the new owner. So I came up and I met all these people and some of them, everybody wanted to meet me and everyone was like sizing me up. And uh, I remember some people were like, just terrible. <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, you don't want those people. Like, I'm so glad to be getting rid of them. I was like, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they expected to hand off the restaurant and let us run it. And they were like, you should, you know, keep some of the menu items, some of the staples on the menu, and then maybe you can slowly change them out. And I mean, frankly, we had no interest in the old menu. The old menu hadn't changed in 30, 40 years and was just kind of dated like right. French American, but kind of slowly like got further and further from being really French and became just this weird kind of, you know, wasabi mashed potatoes next to, you know, uh, duck you know seared duck and you know just kind of got all over the place right Tre um, trendy food item here from the 90s mixed with trendy food item here from the 80s mixed with i know what you're talking about oh there's kimchi on as like a side because you know that became like cool um right and someone wanted it <laughs> um yeah and so we had we were looking to get rid of that entirely and he was like just be careful i mean we had learned that two of their menu dishes two of their items made up about 40 or 50 percent of the menu sales uh, there was a sole manure and a duck, like the seared duck. And like servers would tell us, you just, a table would sit down, you'd be duck, duck, sole, sole. Great. We'll be back. You know, like that was it. That's all they right. sold. And we were like, we, you can't run a business like this. If you, I mean, if that's your business, just open a shack and just sell one item. Like don't open a full service restaurant with a full menu. And if you're only selling two dishes, you know. Exactly. You it, it just, the, the logistics and economics of it made no sense. And we're like, we have to get rid of that. And we have to have a menu that everybody, you know, every item is balanced in terms of sales, you know, to some degree, at least less than how it is, how skewed it is with this current menu. So anyway, and we brought in a chef, we managed to find a chef locally. He was um, really talented and he wanted nothing to do with the old menu. You know, he was like, I'm not coming to cook somebody else's food. And we were like, great. We're on the same page there. Um, cool. So um, anyway, so we opened up and I mean, the other, the other wrinkle in this whole thing was uh, we were, Erica, my wife was pregnant with our first baby and we were told that the due date was July 4th, which if you know, vacation towns in New England, July 4th is a very busy weekend Yeah, or busy holiday. It's this, this is officially the, it's the busiest, easily the busiest weekend of the summer which therefore is the busiest weekend of the year. And right. uh, it was also a brand new restaurant for us. We had, op I think we ended up opening the restaurant June 1st. Uh, and then, so we had four weeks under us. And then Erica went into labor July 4th. Baby was born July 5th. <laughs> it was wow. in, it was insane. Like I, I was a zombie the entire year. You know, it was it was probably the most intense thing we've ever done. We moved, we were renovating the house and the restaurant. We moved into the rest, the house May fifteenth. Opened the restaurant June first. Baby came July fifth. It was like, wow. I, I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you've like redone the entire place, right? Uh, like no, we just like you know, it needed new paint. It need it was really dark and drab, and everything was a mauve, like red, and it just it was just dark and dated and there's lots of tchotchkes everywhere like pheasant like people bring them gifts i guess right pheasant this and that right. knickknacks and there was just everywhere and old victorian lighting fixtures that were like hanging from a low ceiling so the whole place had this cavernous feel but not in a good way you know it just it was like stuffy and so we brightened the whole place up so 
some new tables, some new, we redid the whole bar area. The bar needed a lot of work. Um, I mean, the bones of the place were incredible. It just needed some love. And uh, frankly, like a slightly more contemporary approach to this style of like farmhouse, you know, just kind of right. modernize it a little bit. You know, we kind of, I think if you were to walk in, you'd say, oh, I, I, I get what's going on in here, you know, just to bring it current a little bit. So you basically uh, redo the place in terms yeah. of like the menu, et cetera. So you kept nothing from the, so what style of cuisine were you going for? Just kind of, I, frankly, the stuff that we had loved in Brooklyn, the new American comfort. So, you know, we were in our favorite restaurants are kind of these cozy new American spots in Brooklyn with fantastic wine lists and great cocktails. So again, like the Andrew Tarlow empire, the, the Jeffrey's groceries, the, you know, like this style of kind of like rustic new American, but with like great technique and, but a certain level of casualness at the same time. Um, uh-huh. and, and that was a weird thing for Cape Cod. Like people didn't understand that you can have a nice restaurant. That's not fancy. You know, like that, like that's like, they didn't get it. Like people were very upset that we got rid of the white tablecloths and, you know, we changed, oh, we changed out all the glassware, right? We changed out these giant martini glasses for, you know, coops. Um, people lost their minds. They're like, what is this? Where's my, <laughs> where's right. my martini glass? And they do the V, you know, with their hands. Like I want this glass, you know, and you're like, you know, it's the same size, right? <laughs> The poor isn't going to change, you know, like, um, they, and they're angry though. Yeah. They were, they were <laughs> like mad. I, I'm telling you, I, and I kind of wrote you this in the, in the email, but we had people who walked out because we didn't have a certain type of vodka. Like that's all they drank is this one type of vodka and we didn't have it. And they got up and left. And then they asked us for limoncello. And I think I didn't, I didn't have limoncello and they were like, Oh, that's it. And they left, you know, <laughs> like Cape Cod is a weird place. Like I love it here, but there's a, a there's a weird culture where people, overpay for food and underpay for booze and it flipped right. like that you know in the rest of you know coming you know in new york city there's certain like benchmark like metrics like or standards for how you price things you know yep. and it was inverted on cape cod like people are giving away booze and charging stupid money for like poor quality frozen ingredients. Right. Whereas you're taking the margin where you're supposed to get it, which is from alcohol. <laughs> right. Right. So we, like we're serving food that on way better food, like way better quality food at the same price as everybody else. And our booze price, which is frankly would be lower, right. They would be, they'd have to charge more because if they're serving higher quality ingredients, but anyway, and then our, our drink prices were, you know, not quite New York city prices by any means, but you know, we're, priced according to the ingredients in the drink, you know, and there were quality ingredients and, you know, cocktails and this was cheap, you know, cocktails, 12, 13, 14 bucks, you know, um, but they were measured, you know, they, they weren't free poured and right. People were really upset that they weren't getting these giant pours, you know, of wine and giant, like, you know, six ounce martinis and or eight ounce martinis, whatever, you know, and, and, People were people were angry and they called us out on being, you know, oh, you're from New York and all this, you know, <laughs> and like and we had people we had people writing us letters, like angry letters, like we're never coming to your restaurant. We we made like we did for the check presenters in the beginning, we we're using postcards and we had somebody write us a letter, like a really nasty negative letter on one of our postcards with no return address. <laughs> we're like, cool. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Um <laughs> it was wild. It was, it was really wild. And 
you know, it was hard. It, it you know, we thought we were going to come in. And I think this is probably a lot of people. You're like, our thought was the bar, the bar of food on Cape Cod is very low. Um, it's been stuck in this kind of eighties, nineties thing with seafood shacks and, you know, kind of low quality ingredients. It's tourists, right? It's, it's get your money when you can from people you're never going to see more than once. And everything was kind of stuck in that. And so we thought we'd come and offer like, Hey, if, if Eric and I, you know, coming from New York, we're going to be on Cape Cod. We want to create a place that we would like to eat on a regular basis. Not just a, not just a, a special occasion, but a place that you want to go and see your friends. You want to go post up at the bar and you never know who's going to walk in and be a neighborhood community spot. And we thought we were bringing something that was very much needed to the Cape and it, it was needed, but there's a lot of people who the other side of this, you get people who, who don't like change. You get older people, especially on Cape Cod, there's a lot of retirees and you get people who think they know everything and don't want it. They like it because nothing changes. And so as soon as you come right. in and you're from a place in New York city, they get very upset, <laughs> you know? Right. It seems like you, so you thought that you were going to come in there and be like, thank you so much. We've yeah, been waiting yeah. for a, a Brooklyn style restaurant on Cape Cod. And they were like, no, I, honestly, get the fuck out. That was exactly it. And we were like, <laughs> we were, I mean, it, like there's so many emotions flying, you know, you're like between the move, the baby, like going all in on every penny you've ever, you know, like everything. And then to have somebody like essentially like spit in your face, and be like, I don't care about any of that. Like, you know, I don't, and, and people who wouldn't even try it. It's like people who wouldn't even sit down and taste it would just, ugh, I don't want, like, or I don't know. I can't read any of these ingredients. I don't know what any of this is, you know, and they, they were getting offended because they felt like we were being, you know, like, I don't know, ridicule is a novel concept, you know, like, <laughs> and, um, and, and I think people don't like feeling, like they don't know what you're, you know, there's like an, uh, I don't know. You just don't want to make people feel small, right? Like you want them, they want yeah. to know and understand. They don't want to have to ask questions. And we were trying to do something where we were introducing people to new things. Like that's the fun of it, right? That's for me and my wife. Like that's why we like dining out. Like that's sort of when we right. were dining out, you know, um, to go to new places and try different things and be excited when the menu changes every time we're there. Cause there's something new to try. Like we like that. It's an experience for us. And we were dealing with a lot of people who just wanted the same thing every, you know, they wanted to count on certain things. They didn't want it to change. Yeah. So when we throw in on top of that, we throw in a seasonal menu, which changes, you know, four times a year and their, their heads really spin. You know, they're like, wait, I love that dish. What, where to go? It's like, uh, you know, we try to do something different. That's not in season anymore. And, right. And, and like, I mean, we burned a lot of these old regulars from this restaurant, like hard, you know, and, and honestly, it was probably the best thing that ever happened. Right. Cause, cause come on, there's a silver lining here, Adam. Like you gotta, oh, right absolutely. now it just sounds like all doom and gloom. Like you go to, you go to another place and you open a thing. And- <laughs> we got to get there. Yeah, we're going to get there. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 I'm just trying to say like, it is hard. It's, it's yeah. like, it was a roller coaster of emotions and everybody who's considering doing this should be prepared <laughs> that this is, you know, you can see how this can happen. Right. And we, this is something right. you we don't just walk in as a conquering hero. Yeah, exactly. And right, yeah, we were like, we were really, uh, you know, it took us a minute to recover. And, and that first year we closed for that first winter, we closed for three months because we were like so fried and just emotionally. We're like, what are we doing? You know, right? <laughs> like, you know, and we stuck it out. And then, then, and what we, the first thing is that first year we had to go through that fire because 
the customers that came out the second year were so much more pleasant and were so much better or people who didn't go initially because they were nervous about this new restaurant. And then they started coming out and the old people were gone, like not old because we had plenty of older customers, but the previous owner, the previous restaurant customers, most of them are, had left and it was, it was great. And, and all of a sudden people were commenting on how much younger the customer, you know, the, like the guests in the restaurant were. Um, it was a place, you know, there was, we heard that older, younger people used to call the red pheasant, the dead pheasant, because it was just so stuffy oh, and so old. Funny. And so it's taken, it's been taking a long time, but people now are like, oh no, 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 it's not the red pheasant anymore. It's not like that. It's not stuffy. It's, it's new owners. It's young. It's, you know, it's exciting. And, you know, those people are, had started coming out after these kind of lack of better term, crotchety, <laughs> angry, disgruntled older customers stopped coming because they felt like this is a cool place to be now. I'm not, it's like not me and all the grandparents, you know? And so every year since then has gotten better and better and people are more receptive to our menus and ingredient choices and style and drink menus. I mean, you know, the second year we did a CBD cocktail with a, you know, a weed leaf uh, garnish just like dropped on top of a rocks cube, you know, and people were so excited. People came out. We, yeah, we ran that for 420 as like a special and people went nuts, you know, and That's it was hilarious. like, Hey, this is a new, like, this is clearly a new thing here. And, and then kind of fast forward, we get to COVID and we were, you know, panicking, you know, and we were, we were closed for six weeks. We were in on vacation. We were in Jamaica when the news started coming out in February about this looming pandemic. And I was freaking out and was hard having a hard time settling um, on vacation. And then we came back and it was full blown. You know, we were supposed to open March 18th, I think, um, to reopen for the season. And they shut, governor shut everything down on the 16th, I think it was. Um, so, it all changed. And then we, we decided to push everything outside. We did, we just did picnic tables. And I mean, we really did this. I, I'm really proud of how we set it up. It was all counter service. You came up and ordered a host stand, you sat down, we ran food out to you, but the menu was much um, faster and much, it was really easy for the kitchen to execute, but it was a really yeah. fun and high quality menu, but it was casual. Everything was on takeout containers you know, com high quality, compostable, biodegradable containers, but still takeout containers nonetheless, um, you know, or compostable forks and knives and, and all this. And it was, oh yeah, wine was all in plastic, you know, it was all cans and bottles. We didn't do anything by the glass, um, but it worked really, really well. And we had a lot of people who were blown away by the experience. We had fan like younger families coming out, which was great because while, you know, the restaurant during normal times is probably not a great place for little kids. Their parents are absolutely our regular customers and we can introduce them and get people in during the summer and that will hopefully right. continue to come, you know, they'll get, when things get back to normal, they'll get babysitters and they're like, now they've discovered this restaurant. You know, we had people who would be on vacation for five days and they were coming three or four nights of their, their trip, you know, because they were so excited about being outside and being safe and everything was really spacious. And, and, um, and we started selling all this natural wine that we were struggling to sell previously. Um, you know, I've got old ladies drinking Brock sellers, love red cans, you know, by the, you know, <laughs> by the case, like I was, it was incredible. And, um, and it like the casualness 
that was forced upon everybody really worked in our favor. You know, it, it really took the pressure off because people, it was, we were, we were still for a lot of people known as this kind of special occasion restaurant, which is a, yeah. a, a tag label we've been trying to kind of shed. And, and, and so the, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it really changed people. Like I've had people recently, I've seen customers and they said, you know, I actually really liked your outdoor vibe better than what the restaurant was previously inside. Yeah. It was just so much more well, casual. So that's what I easy. wonder. Yeah. So I wonder about that. Right. So, so a bunch of people I know are talking about now doing two different things when they, when, when things go back to normal. So for example, like, um, we, we brought on, uh, James who owns Papina in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Papina existed before you left. I don't think so, but I've been keeping on tabs on things, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he basically went to counter service too. And like the question now becomes, does he become counter service in one part of his restaurant still? Or is that a during the day thing where he's counter service and then he converts to like sit down at night, right? Like, because because there's now customers who are like, we love that. We love that we could come at one o'clock, you know, in the afternoon, get a bottle of wine and eat some of your food and sit out in the backyard and play bocce. And it wasn't, you know, and also it's going to allow him to come back you know, more easily, right? Because we talk about this a lot on the podcast too. Like what's, what is it going to look like in terms of service and how many people are you going to add to your staff and that kind of stuff? So I wonder, have you thought about that too? Like would the pheasant be sort of casual during the day and then you go to sort of the the traditional sit down at night, but outdoors, it's still the same kind of counter service, et cetera, you guys were doing? I think we're, the problem with the space is that it's not, what we realize is it's not good to do for indoor and outdoor at the same time, right? It's one or the other. Um, right. And okay. what, we, what we found is that this past summer, while we we're doing all the outdoor seating and everything, we were like, let's do lunch, right? Let's try lunch because we're, we're set up. It's beautiful out. It's Cape Cod. And we've never done lunch before because, and we were kind of proven right why we don't do lunch is because on Cape Cod, on a sunny day, no one's eating lunch. They're all at the beach. Right. Every, everyone's at the beach. Yeah. Everyone's at the beach. And so if you don't have a waterfront view, if you don't have, you know, like you just, you're not going to get lunch business. Right. It's just some, a couple places, maybe, you know, um, but most of them have views. Most of them have some kind of connection with the beach or you can walk on from the beach or, you know, that kind of thing. And so we tried for the first two months of like, I guess, June, July offering lunch. And it just, it just didn't happen. You know, you get a couple tables, but it just, that's also hard to change people's perceptions on the Cape. The biggest issue we have is marketing and communicating to customers because, so many people are tourists and they come out on the weekends and there's no way to connect to them. Like they don't see, right. You know, you hit them, you try to, we hit people on Facebook and Instagram with ads um, or promote ads and stuff in Boston because we want to get them before they come out here. Cause once they're out here, they've already made their plans. They know where they're going. They're going to go to the old right. favorites. And so you have to get them talking and thinking about it before they even get out here and get it on their radar. So, you know, it's hard to suddenly convince people like, Oh, by the way, that that restaurant is now doing lunch. You know, they've never done lunch in the forty years they've been a, a business. But hey, they are. You know, it, it just we didn't see it. Um, and actually, but right. but the plan for us, and this is a little early, so I don't want to like knock me on wood right now. But we're a mile, we're less than a mile from our local beach, which is a fantastic beach, very fa- family friendly, called Corporation Beach. Um, it's like a ten minute walk, and they have a killer snack bar there. Well. The operator right now is not awesome. It's pretty generic, like mozzarella sticks and bad burger. Right. You know, it's just generic. 
but the space and the layout is awesome. There's all these picnic tables. It's on a cliff above the dunes, looking over the beach, bathrooms, lifeguard station. And, you know, it's just, it's really great setting. And the, there's a bid, like it comes up for bid every two years and we're going to put in for it for next summer um, and really try to like kill that program and do, and that's how we'll do lunch, right? It's off site, but it's right. like less than a mile away and it's a different style of food and you kind of get people that way and then transition them. Hey, come off the beach bring this flyer and come get a cocktail with us at five o'clock, you know, or four o'clock, you know, and that's kind of that's what awesome. we're thinking is the transition and the next move um, to get lunch. Cause that's cause you have a captive audience at the beach. Right. So, so you guys are closed now cause it's, which is, which is amazing. Cause this is the yep. worst time to be open in COVID. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what are your plans though when you reopen? So we were debating for a long time and I was really stressing out about this, about if we were going to be inside, if we we're going to be outside, if we we're going to do both. And I was really concerned that a lot of people are going to want the sense of normalcy and they're going to want to go back inside. We had a really good bar kind of scene, uh, not bar scene, but we had a comfortable bar. We had a lot of regulars who people would tell us, oh, we can't wait to go back at the bar. We can't wait to sit at the bar. And I was thinking, man, if we don't go inside, we're going to have a lot of like disappointed people and people want normal. But we we're like, all right, maybe do half inside, half outside. And we, the more we thought about it, there's there's just no flow. The building wasn't designed to do that. The servers right. going out with food would have to be sharing the entrance with people coming in. It's, you know, it's a really long haul from the kitchen. It's just, we were talking about like, we have to put in new doors and like this historic farmhouse cut, cut doors into the side to access outside. You know, it's just, it, it was just getting more and more complicated. And we were thinking, all right, we already have all this infrastructure for, for doing outdoor dining. It's summer on Cape Cod. Most people are probably going to want to eat outside. And all the people that like last summer, everybody had outdoor dining setups, but they were janky, right? right? It was a lot of crappy um, rental tents with cement barricades and all that. And those places are not mm -hmm. going to do that again. They're all going to go back inside because it's easier for them. And it's, right. you know, right. but we have this actually, we're kind of set back from the road um, and we have these kind of lush garden and it's very private and there's string lights and you feel like you're somewhere else. And we were thinking, let's just stick with outside. Like we have the model down, we can build upon it and let's take a chance on, Hey, like we're going to be the only game in town doing like extensive outdoor seating. You know, we're talking, you know, we've right. got 20 tables. We can put 120 people outside. Um, you know, it's, it's substantial. And so let's, let's try that again. And you know, and, and just own it because so much of what we're hoping is Massachusetts operating differently than New York, from what I can tell in terms of reopening. And they just lifted the capacity limits in Massachusetts. So the only restrictions for indoor dining are six tables, six feet apart, but nobody can get vaccines. <laughs> so right. like, and they're like, you know, the governor is saying, oh, you know, we know the vaccines are taking a long time. Everyone needs to be patient. And yeah, it's kind of, a, we're racing against the variants to get everybody vaccinated. But we're going to open. We're excited to open, reopen restaurants and businesses. I'm like, we've gone this far. Like, why don't we wait till more people are vaccinated or restaurant workers are yeah. vaccinated or something? You know, and so we're all of this is, you know, contingent. You know, going inside is somewhat contingent on hope and a prayer that, it, you know, it seems like it's trending in that direction. But I don't know. We're like, you know, what what do we know for sure? Outside is safe. It's Cape Cod in the summer. People like sitting outside. We know we can execute it. Let's just let's just do it. And also, we have this rare opportunity where the towns are giving waivers to restaurants to do extensive outdoor dining, 
in areas that they normally wouldn't let you do outdoor dining. You have to have patios, you have to have like all kinds of infrastructure to do it like quote unquote properly, but they've allowed waivers um, last summer. And I just checked with the department of health and they're going to do it again this year. And we're like, you know what, let's, let's run with it. Um, why, why complicate it? And, and everybody can feel comfortable. We can continue doing the kid thing. Um, that all being said, we know that transition back inside in the fall of next year is going to be rough because <laughs> we have right. to completely reinvent the restaurant. Like we're going to have to close for a couple of weeks and go back inside because it's just too cold out here um, as it is in New York, you know, but um, that's going to be, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. Um, but I think that's going to be the play. And yeah, that's, I don't know. That's, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, so we're, we're on a break right now, but every day, all we're doing is trying to run through scenarios like, all right, well, if we, you know, we're not doing anything inside, we got to do outdoor bathrooms, but like, you know, what type, like, are people going to respond to that? Are they going to get angry? How do we do this? How's the flow going to work? What do we, you know, and, and it's a lot of what ifs and unknowns. And so, yeah, it's, it's stressful, but it's almost easier now that we decided we're just going to be outside as opposed to trying to think yeah. about half in half out. Um, and, um, yeah, that's, that's the play, but you know, I've had fun listening to all the podcasts too, about like, I like listening to all your predictions and trends of, you know, I was listening yeah. to the lemonade, the lemonade one. I'm like, huh, I should probably is, look into big. lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, cause you know, I, I, no, uh, not to segue too much, but, um, you know, we're doing a lot of research and trying to see trying to glean as much information as we can to try to have the most efficient and you know the best summer we can because on cape cod too like the summer is it like you make 80 percent of your your revenue for the year in four three months really it's crazy so we're hoping that this year it's going to start earlier last year it didn't start until july like didn't really take off until august because everybody was locked down. They weren't allowing rentals on the Cape until like July. And it just kind of puttered along until August. And then it kind of took off. But this year we think as soon as the weather turns, it's going to be on like a fire hose people like rental. There's no rental properties on Cape Cod. Like there's like, you can't find a place to stay. It's, it's wild. And they just announced part of the reopening plans. They announced that you can have outdoor gatherings of a hundred, 150 people, something like that. And so all the weddings are back on. So all the resorts are booked, you know, it's, it's going to be bananas. So just trying to make sure you want to, you know, be in the right position to catch, to receive all that, you know? Right. And you just have very limited, you know, there's not a whole lot of room for error. Uh, At least for us, like we take it really, like we take it really seriously. We take every review. Like if somebody doesn't leave telling us how amazing a time they had, we feel like we failed. We're like, what? What? Well, I mean, that's a, that, that means you're a good restaurateur. Right, right. But, you know, but <laughs> that means you're a good restaurateur. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's that, like, you know, we just want to have, so we're trying to have it all dialed in, you know, for this, you know, for this quick hit. And then, uh, and then we have to figure, and then we'll cross the next bridge when we get to it. Well, Adam, this has been an amazing uh, conversation. I feel like I've, I've definitely learned a lot about what you've been through, which is awesome. Uh, I feel like hopefully everyone who has, has listened has as well. And I think if, if you are, if you listen and you are thinking about, uh, you know, moving from a city that you might be into a, to a, to a smaller town, honestly, dude, I think a lot of stuff you say is really 
you know, encouraging to people, but I think that you're also a realist, which is great, right? It's not going to be easy. It's not just that you're going to go somewhere and be welcomed with open arms. Um, but I think it's, you know, your story is, is a really, really cool one. And I, I really appreciate you sharing it with me. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. I mean, the best thing that the takeaway is that the quality of life is incredible. Like that's the biggest thing. Like at the end of the day, we, our son goes, you know, any given day, he goes to the lake in the morning, goes to the beach in the afternoon. Maybe we go fishing, you know, we, you know, it's this incredible magic, you know, childhood. Um, and we, we love being here in the winter because it's so quiet and beautiful and we have so much space and it's, you know, but you know, (laughs) nothing comes, comes easy. And, um, that was our ultimate goal. And then we, you know, we'll, we'll figure out the other part of it. And so don't lose sight of, you know, don't give up the fight, but just know that, you know, it's, it's not, it's definitely not easy. Well, Adam, thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best. And I can't wait to come to the Pheasant at some point. I've actually never been to Cape Cod, so I'm going to have to go. Uh, at some I'm point, out. people talk yeah. about how amazing it is. Yeah. Yep. No, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.